0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina.
1: Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us are two guests to talk about the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade and reproductive freedom. Senator Tina Smith is a senator from the great state of Minnesota. And also with us is the president and CEO of Democracy Forward, Skye Perriman. She's here to talk us through some of the legal fights related to the post-Dobbs era on this week of the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk with you. So, when when you think about the post-Dobbs realities, Sky, what what are they? I mean, what what does it mean to be post-Dobbs from your perspective? You're you're doing all of the legal fights, all of the appeals um, uh, that we see um, in in the legal realm have to do with the fact that. We're in a post dobs reality. What does that mean?
2: Well, you know, I, and, and I like your framing of post-Dobbs because we know that millions of people, even prior to Dobbs, um, were living with restricted access exactly. that, that brought it out of, that, that brought, reproductive health care out of reach for many. And unfortunately, Dobbs, I think, um, expedites that harmful reality for so many people. We are seeing a number of extreme bans and restrictions on abortion, but not just on abortion, right? We're seeing um, the far right um, with organized legal organizations taking aim at preventive health care services covered under the ACA, contraception access, and a number um, of of broader reproductive health care. But, you know, yesterday, think that there's some 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 hope and yesterday we filed on behalf of the generic manufacturer of the abortion pill uh, gen biopro we filed a case in West Virginia challenging their ban and their restrictions on um, abortion as it applies to mifepristone, because we know that this is a federally approved medication and um, and a highly you know a regulated medication. And what West Virginia and other states are doing um, are maintaining laws and regulations that conflict with the considered judgments of uh, the Food and Drug Administration. And and our Constitution doesn't allow for that, right? Federal law has to take precedence over state law when the two are in conflict and so while Dobbs did um eviscerate the individual privacy right that people have um you know under the federal constitution for the termination of pregnancy it did not um uh it did not disturb other constitutional protections, such as those in the Supremacy Clause, that say that you know federal protections would would take precedence over state laws when they conflict or frustrate their purpose. And so we're litigating those cases now. We filed, um, you know, the the first one yesterday in West Virginia on behalf of the manufacturer. But I think um, it's going to take a full scale effort across a range of levers in order to not only restore but to advance um, reproductive
1: health care for people in this country. Is West Virginia the worst ban? I mean, it feels like it's hard to say because each each of these is a little bit different. And I feel like, is it Texas where we have the worst ban? Is it West Virginia? I mean, talk a bit about how these lawsuits come about when you are seeing these bans pop up, because now that the Supreme Court basically, you know, opened the floodgates, they are popping up frequently. Well,
2: right. I mean, there's a number of bans or and, and, and broad restrictions on abortion throughout the country um, in terms of the impact to people and communities. Of course, we know that they're they um, you know that they all have a devastating impact um, and then some are more broad and extreme than others. But they're all extreme. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they're all um they're all seeking to prevent people um, from being able to get the best health care to control their reproductive lives. And that's a real problem in a democracy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it is important to focus on, um, the, you know, we know that Dobbs is a, was a devastating decision um, and the, there is an aftermath. Um, And Dobbs did a lot, Uh, Dobbs did a lot to sort of accelerate this very problematic and troubling and harmful reality for folks. But it's also important to understand what Dobbs did not do, right? Dobbs did not, uh, undermine and, and could not undermine other provisions of the constitution like those that say uh, that federal protections would supersede state protections or state restrictions or laws when the two are in conflict or frustrate the purpose and so um it's it's really now advocates I think are looking you know at the federal protections that exist uh, I think we've spoken before about the emergency care pr- protections mm-hmm. under um, IMTALA, which of course we saw the Department of Justice um, seek to enforce in Idaho, where their ban was so restrictive that it violated federal law. And, and so th- that's, you know, you see those cases playing out and then you also see that states have their own constitutions and many states, like states like Kansas and others, um, acknowledge um, a broad privacy right, uh, consistent with the privacy protections, of course, that we believe are fundamental to any right. democracy, um, a broad privacy right to protect their um, citizens as well um, or the residents in their states as well and so i think um you know i think i think we see this you know State-based litigation playing out that so many groups are doing a tremendous job on the front lines of, and then we see um, federal litigation playing out in terms of um, making sure that states that are seeking to restrict or ban abortion are not overreaching where the law is today, which means that they're not seeking to deprive people of their federal protections, such as emergency care, such as um, the abort, you know. access to evidence-based medicine that the FDA is, is regulating and specifically considering and approving. And so, so, so we're, you know, we're involved in some of those fights and
1: we're grateful to be part of the broader community that is doing that work. What are some of the, the coming fights around medication abortion? We recently had conversations on the show um, about the fact that, you know, after Dobbs, in a lot of ways, there were networks of abortion advocates that popped up Um, essentially to assist people in receiving medication abortion through the mail um, in places where abortion was banned. Right. And I think that that was amazing to watch, but of course you, as a legal expert, you know that eventually that's going to be attacked as well because what they want is to ban abortion. So they, they don't, they did not like that those networks did pop up. What are some of the the ways in which they are trying to restrict access um, and, and, the legal fights ahead when it comes to specifically medication abortion?
2: Right. Well, right now there is a um, there is a uh, coalition of very far right groups in the state of Texas that have sued in federal court um, to try to um, question FDA's authority and um, and remove uh, the FDA approval for Mifepristone, which of course is a drug that's been approved for, um, you know, for for twenty years, <laughs> um, safe and effective, you know, regulated by FDA, um, which continues to revise its regulations. So that's a case to watch. And um and I and again, I think what Dobbs showed us all, and we talked about this in the summer, um, but what Dobbs showed us all is that when these groups or when movements say that this is what they're seeking to do, we need to believe them and be very vigilant. And um and so they're you know the Department of Justice. Currently Currently is defending that case in Texas. And then you have cases like ours filed yesterday Mm -hmm. that are seeking to push back um, on state overreach that's trying to deprive people of their ability to access medication abortion at all and medication abortion through telehealth and other means that FDA has said that you can. So that's definitely a place to watch. Um, And then I think... um, um, and and then of course FDA earlier this year did revise its its regulations for Mifepristone so that it could you know permanently be received through te- telehealth and you definitely see a number of states including West Virginia and others that have you know that have either long maintained telehealth bans or are seeking to interfere with that judgment of FDA and that's unconstitutional too and so those are fights um, th- those are fights to watch as well and then of course some people are so extreme some of the attorney generals they have made statements about um, wanting to punish um, or seek to criminalize, you know, travel, um, criminalize or um, punish companies that are trying to facilitate care for their employees. And so these are, um, you know, this extremism is not going away. Dobbs is not the end. It is the sort of, you know, it's in the middle of the fight. Um, for this. And um, there are a lot of groups that are seeking to take dobs and even go further and try to restrict even further federal protections, further rights of people. And, um, and so it's incumbent upon all of us to fight back. And these fights aren't just in the courts. We know that the people have a real role to play, both in using their voice in the courts, but also in, um, you know, in the broader sort of democratic process. And so, it, you know, I think, I think, that, and you've done such a good job on your show, right, with your listeners of, Um, of of bringing those issues forward as well.
1: One of the things that you said that I want to sort of unpack a little bit is even when we talk about that, you know, different mechanisms to get access to abortion have been criminalized. I don't think we really talk about the fact that when we say that. There has to be a punishment, (laughs) right? And so so can you talk a bit more about the ways anti-choice forces are, are criminalizing abortion whether it be by making it a crime for a doctor to actually pr- provide an abortion, like criminalizing the the, mm-hmm. the actions of the providers themselves, and then also by extension the other ways um, they're trying to criminalize accessing abortion through other through other mechanisms, because we don't talk enough about the fact that when you make something a crime, there has to be a punishment. <laughs> right. So. Um,
2: so. And so, this is a great question. So, in, on the criminal side, many of the restrictions in the ban seek to criminalize healthcare professionals, physicians, nurses, others who be involved in um, providing health care to people. And then there have been some um, that, you know, would even go so far as to try to criminalize the the person seeking care. But even more broadly, um, you know, we have seen and and we just litigated a case in uh, the town of Lebanon, Ohio, where um, the city passed a um, provision, passed a city ordinance to try to criminalize People that were seeking to help those access care, right? Not the doctors, but maybe social workers or others that would 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 try to help people in the city um, be able to um, go elsewhere and find find care. And, and we successfully got the city to back off that criminal piece, um, and you know, which is I think incredibly important. But that's some of the some of the restrictions we see. You also see civil um, things that that sort of in effect. Um, Have such a chilling effect, right? So, um, provisions of laws that would seek to take away um, a physician's medical license or a healthcare provider's medical license or that would allow civil liability, right? Being able to be sued. We saw some of this with SB 8 in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, there's a number of both criminal and civil. uh, pieces. I mean, some of the laws read, you know, just like the 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 sort of horror dystopian novels, mm-hmm. right? And they're in effect, in effect that say things like, you know, subject to imprisonment of up to a certain amount, or subject to this amount of fee, or subject to. I mean, it's very. Um, you know, incredibly um, concerning. And of course, these laws were being passed um, prior to the Dobbs decision, right, um, in, in an attempt to um, bring something to the courts that could overturn that access. So this is a, a trend we've seen for some time. Um, and, you um, and now, unfortunately, we're seeing it accelerated, but there are ways that advocates are able to push back. Um, there are legal protections in many places that need to be enforced through the courts for people seeking to access care or to provide care or to make medications. And um, and so it's, it's good to see that advocates are, are doing that work, and we're obviously committed to doing that work.
1: That was actually my next question, because I think what's important to understand is while the Supreme Court... Um, made this decision in Dobbs. I mean, obviously, as you said, there are state laws and co- constitutional protections for people as well. What are some of the ways you've been fighting on the state level? West Virginia being the latest lawsuit, um, an example. What are some of the ways you've been fighting on the state level? And and talk a bit more about you know some things people may not be aware of in terms of the protections their states offer through their constitutions of these privacy rights because. Um, Most people don't. We don't ever talk about that. We just like in the media. We don't. We don't talk about this because it's a little bit in the weeds, but it's very relevant to what's happening right now.
2: Right. So, I mean, there's there are states, and um, and by the way, a diversity of states. Right. Not just the states that you might think when you think about who protects abortion access. Right. States like Kansas and others. Mm -hmm. Um. Um, that have constitutions that recognize a fundamental right to privacy in the same way, of course, <laughs> that um, for decades, the United States Constitution, the Supreme Court recognized. So, um, so that that that's work, a lot of um, reproductive rights advocates. Are you know engaged in state-based efforts to bring cases in state court to say you know you may be able to do this under the federal constitution, but you cannot do this under our state constitution. And so you see those will be playing out, and um, uh, and 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 it's an it's an important strategy. It is something that the state-based um, protections and, and provisions have long been um, something that uh, folks have advocated for and um, sought to enforce in the courts. But you see that taking more center stage since Dobbs. Then you have the the pieces that we're, you know, doing a lot on, right, which is what the federal protections are. Just because the Supreme Court has said that it is interpreting the Constitution in a way that deprives individuals of a privacy right to terminate a pregnancy does not mean that there are not other federal protections Mm -hmm. that protect people. So one of those was the emergency care Protection that was, you know, bipartisan bill for decades has governed emergency care in this country. That says you can't, if you present to an emergency room, um, they need to take steps to stabilize you and to uh, provide care when you're in an emergent situation, and, and that applies to pregnant people, and that applies to pregnant people who the procedure that they may need in order to stabilize them is um, is a pregnancy termination, right? And so we saw a number of attorney generals that sought to, notwithstanding that they've always said that. They care about people and families that sought to deprive pregnant people and and, um, moms of their ability to access that emergency care, which is, which was incredibly concerning. It's unlawful and a federal court has found that unlawful in Idaho. And and we've been part of that, those cases representing the medical community and and DOJ obviously representing the government and the enforcement of those protections. You also have what's happening in West Virginia where a number of states are in effect banning um, access to federally approved and regulated medications Um, Um, in order to uh, facilitate uh there are other sort of um, extreme restrictions and so um you know we are seeking to challenge um uh, the laws and restrictions in in West Virginia that conflict with and frustrate uh what FDA has done in approving and um uh you know regulating mifepristone access which is the the medication, one of the medication abortion pills so um so those are some ways you see these federal protections play out there have been cases um uh challenging where, where you have faith based uh, providers and people um who uh the state based restrictions have become so extreme uh they they believe that they conflict with their personal conscience and, and and the work that they need to do in order to provide care to people so you saw a case like that in Florida come up i think there was a case in in Missouri um in, sort of on another theory recently filed and so um so i think these are all places for for your listeners and for all of us to be watching and at the same time we know that the protections that do exist um, and the protections that have existed, again, even, even prior to Dobbs, um, have not been sufficient to ensure that everyone is able to access the health care they need and access abortion, be able to control their reproductive lives. And so there's, of course, other work to be done there that, that so many of your listeners are doing.
1: In terms of the courts, one of the questions I think probably people at home might have is, We know the makeup of the Supreme Court. We also know that we saw throughout the course of the Trump administration headlines about Mitch McConnell confirming conservative judges. Mm -hmm. And this comes up in a lot of contexts, even COVID, for example, right? A conservative judge is the reason why we don't have to mask on airplanes, which really is just gets in my craw a lot, you know, when I think about that deeply. Um, But can you talk a bit about or whether or not you think the courts being stacked with conservative judges makes it harder or um, harder, harder to continue to protect rights? Like, do you have faith that conservative judges would rule on the side of the what the law says, versus ideology? um, Since there's so many of them now?
2: Look, I mean, I think um, what what we have to I think you, you're a hundred percent right to point out the political forces that we've seen try to shape the courts in, in harmful ways, in ways that would restrict the rights of people in ways that are not sort of committed to this further advancement of democracy mm-hmm. to creating a more perfect union. And we saw that, you know, loud and clear. Um, you know, you saw um you saw um, the sort of McConnell led group um, deprive President Obama of his ability to um, nominate and confirm um, a justice. And then, you know, immediately when sort of a very similar situation was presented um, during the Trump administration, ensure that they were able to confirm um, a justice. Right. And there were mm-hmm. right wing legal organizations like Judicial Crisis Network and others that were uh, that that were part of that um, effort. Right. They ran a letter the people decide campaign when President Obama had a um, a, a justice to confirm, um, and then um, you know d- you didn't see that campaign at the end of the Trump administration when um, when when Justice Ginsburg passed away and, and and President Trump had a nominee, and so so this is something that is in- incredibly. Um, You know, concerning, and there are a lot of groups like the Alliance for Justice and others that are doing work in this space. I think, from our perspective, um, when you're when you're in court and when you're using the law, we do see um, how the courts um, can protect. Uh, these protections, you know, we've seen it in, in Idaho and others, and that doesn't mean that, um, you know, uh, it doesn't mean, you know, certainly <laughs> many of us think the court got it wrong on Dobbs or other things, but um, but the judiciary is um, um, you know continuing to change president biden has nominated a variety of judges and we've seen um, this extremism that states are pursuing is so extreme that um, many judges from many different persuasions right that may have become into the bench in many different ways are um, seeking to limit it but it is a fight and it is a it is a concern i think um, as we see special interests seeking to shape um, our courts in really harmful and regressive ways um, but i do have um you know confidence that the court, for instance, um, in West Virginia and other places will apply the law the way it needs to apply the law in order to um, enforce constitutional protections. And that's just what we have to what we have to do every day as we're advocating. How can our listeners help? Well, I think listening to you is a really good thing. Oh, thank because you. <laughs> I do. And I say this to you every time we come on. But, you know, I think being informed is incredibly important because it allows you to be able to have the conversation a, this is an issue that is a generationally threatening issue. And we've got Mm -hmm. to be informed and vigilant. One of the most disturbing things that we saw was that even in, you know, after SB8 went into effect in Texas, we saw that there were still so many people that thought that their rights to reproductive health care were secure, right? Mm. When Dobbs was on the docket. And so I think that that was sort of a national wake up call that we've got to be paying attention. And I know that sometimes maybe a little boring talk to those of us that are lawyers or whatever, but we've got to be paying attention. So I think paying attention and being educated, which you do so much work to do, is important. People need to listen to you. And then I think there's a lot of things we can do. We can ask the hard questions of our, um, you know, people that are seeking office, of elected representatives, of, of of the companies and other groups that we work for. Where do they stand on these issues? How, you know, how are they going to help advance rights for um, our current and our future generations? Do they believe that we're trying to become a more perfect to actually advance, uh, uh, um, you know, to advance progress, to continue to enhance these things? Or or, or do they stand for some more narrow and restrictive and, um, you know, restrictive view where only a few people get to enjoy rights? So I think asking those hard questions, I do believe that... um, you know that that people have the power to um, m- turn the tide in this time, um, and that's not just through voting, although that's incredibly important. But it is through being informed. It is through using your voice. We had people in Lebanon, Ohio, social workers and community volunteers that brought a lawsuit against the city in order to um, in order uh, to challenge that criminal provision we were talking about, which we successfully challenged for them. And so these are all types of people getting involved in new ways, getting. Into the courtroom, um, getting into the public square, having those conversations—I
1: think—is all incredibly important. And staying educated and vigilant. Thank you so much, um, Sky Perryman, the president and CEO of Democracy Forward, for being here today. This is a really important conversation. Law, law conversations are not boring. I mean, I went to law school, so I don't find them boring. But I also think that you know, the, lawyers have a superpower. You understand the systems, you understand the law, and the law is is the mechanism. Um, through which we protect and expand civil rights. I learned that in Eyes on the Prize. And so when I was a little kid. Um and and so it is not boring. It is is very, very important. Thank and you it's again a front,
2: to- Yeah, and it's a front line. It's a front Absolutely. line it, it is the front line. There yes. are these battles playing out today. And so thank you for having me on. Look forward to talking to you and um uh in the future and uh, uh, thanks.
1: Joining us now is Minnesota Senator Tina Smith to talk about the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Thank you for being here today.
0: Nice to be with you on the radio.
1: Yes, I love the radio. The radio is really my favorite medium because <laughs> you know one can see me <laughs> um, and <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's so much um you know like I feel like TV you're very it's it's just human nature to be like, you know, what does my face look like? What is my face doing? Like and so on radio I can just be my authentic self, and it feels like we're talking on the phone, which is sort of what we're doing right now. So it, it's much That's more exactly relaxing. Right. It's it's less right. scary. Um, we were just talking to Sky Perryman from Democracy Forward about all the legal fights um, on in this week um, in terms of abortion access, um, because this week is the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade that happened uh, on Sunday. Technically, we're being technical about it. Um, right. As you look at the, the lay of the land, how do you see things post-Dobbs? I've been thinking a lot this week about how we sort of have to change our ver- verbiage and understand that we're not even in a pre-row moment. We're like in a very different place than we've ever been before. How do you see things in the lay of the land um, post-Dobbs in terms of yeah. access to reproductive health care?
0: Well, you know, I think about it from my experience working at Planned Parenthood, and I remember, of course, so well all of the anniversaries of Roe, and they tended to be days when the anti-abortion activists would show up at our clinic. And I remember our patients um, working their way through those lines of protest in order to get the health care that they wanted. And of course, now. Um, there is no more Roe. It's mm-hmm. gone. And the impact of that on, on patients and providers is so profound. In my home state of Minnesota, we have um, the right uh, uh, to access to abortion care uh, protected in our state constitution. And our incredible governor is mo- and legislature is moving to put that in state law. But um, all over the country, as you know, 24 states have banned abortion or are likely to do so. Uh, these policies have created chaos for women and providers um, all over the country and real serious health risks. I just keep thinking about those women who, for them, this is not a political issue. This is about their lives, their bodies, their health, um, their, their own ability to make decisions for themselves um, about what happens in their life. And um, that's just gone away for millions and millions of American Americans.
1: I think your experience at Planned Parenthood um, allows you to understand this in a very similar way um, to how I understand it, which is I understand fundamentally that bodily autonomy is a human right and that as someone who can get pregnant, I cannot control anything that happens in my life if I cannot control my reproduction. And yeah. I, I, the way that you just framed it is so so important. So I want to sort of drill down on that point. Talk a bit more about how you see it. Why is it that if you can't control your reproduction and and the circumstances under which you actually have kids or decide not to, um, you you can't
0: self determine essentially. Exactly. You you can't <laughs> you can't. Um... If you, don't, if you can't make decisions about what happens to your body, you can't make decisions about any – you're barred from making decisions about anything else that happens in your life. Your capacity to potentially take care of the children that you already had, your capacity to make decisions about what you want to be doing in, in five or ten years, your capacity to recover from the trauma that you may have experienced, your mm-hmm. capacity to address what could be a severe health emergency um, I you know am thinking about people um, who end up with um, you know a, a serious injury, perhaps they have miscarried, and they are told by their physician that the physician cannot help them recover from their miscarriage because they might be accused of doing an abortion which would put them in in legal jeopardy. and you know the thing that I believe most people think about when it comes right down to this, and this is why I believe this issue does have so much salience for people is there's this feeling of, as the vice president says, how dare they, how dare Mm -hmm. these people who know nothing about the lives of these women, what their stories are, what's happened to them, how dare they think that they know better what should be happening in that person's life?
1: Why do you think so many anti-choice Republicans are okay with women risking their health and lives in childbirth in this way, like in the process of pregnancy? I feel like when they, they, they were very quick to deny even the story of the 10-year-old child who had to cross state lines to get a medication abortion. They just had to say that that's not true. And I think the reason why is because the re- that's like the reality, right? And so they have mm-hmm. to deny that. And I, I wonder if you often think, like, why are they okay with these outcomes?
0: Well, I it, you know, it's very... Difficult, if not impossible for me, to look into the hearts and minds of these mm. people who believe that they know so much <laughs> that they are, <laughs> that they sort of should have this almost godlike capacity yeah. to decide what's right and what's wrong for another person that they don't even know. But I think what happens is that if you have this sort of theory about um about you know w- when life begins. Um, and then you don't want to address or deal with the consequences of that theory on other people's lives and the way that it pans out in terms of really serious um, health implications. You can't, ad- you can't really ad- accept the idea, the reality that abortion is health care. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't get there, then you you just have to deny that these other terrible things are happening when, when we know that they are happening. We can see it. And in some ways, I think, Serlina, that what has happened because of this tragedy of these rights being stripped away from um, American women, uh, that the the actual reality of what that means is much more clear to people than it was even a year ago. Mm-hmm. And um, that is sort of the fuel that I believe will ultimately lead us to the place where we have restored and expanded uh, the right to um, abortion care. But unfortunately, that road is going to be long and Um, And and in the meantime, people all over this country are experiencing the consequences. And I think
1: also in terms of the fact that, you know, the House has a Republican majority. Thankfully, the Senate has a Democratic majority um, and we have a Democratic president. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a law that would happen in the next two years um, to further restrict uh, reproductive rights on the federal level. Um, Mm -hmm. But do you still wake up thinking about the fights that. Make up, you know the arguments you may have to have in congress um because okay. republicans have already said that they want a national ban on federal on the federal level
0: well it's, i'm so glad that you said that because one of the first things that happened after roe is um, senator lindsey graham introduced a bill to do a national ban on abortion care and um the uh, the Republican House has already indicated that that is what they believe should happen. One of my colleagues on the floor of the Senate earlier this week said that abortion should be unthinkable in this country. So the, uh, the, and during the March that happened in Washington, DC mm-hmm. on the anniversary, that was the clear intention of those, um, of, of those um, activists that abortion would be banned in this country. So there um, it's clear what they intend and our job I do think about this all the time. And our, our job is to, um, is to continue the work of expanding access to care in the courts at the state level and ultimately, I believe, at the federal level where we need to pass a law that would protect access to abortion care um, for people everywhere.
1: Senator Tina Smith, it was my pleasure having you on this morning. We've been talking every day this week Um, about reproductive freedom because it's the 50th anniversary of Roe vs. Wade. So it wasn't like we were just going to do one conversation on Monday. I was like, no, we're doing the whole week because that's how important this is. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It was so great to have you on. Please stay safe.
0: Thank you, Zerlina. You as well.
1: to Mornings with Zerlina check in for new episodes every weekday.